Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. One of the great benefits to trying to stay focused on Christ's call to implement His agenda of righteousness over every sphere of our lives is that Jesus' kingdom teaching is so relevant to our everyday lives. Today, we look at how Jesus teaches His kingdom disciples to overcome destructive anger. Thanks for joining us today for Season 4, Episode number 12 of Mission-Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. Author Les Carter has written a book on anger, and in it he lists 13 steps to an angry life of misery. Here are just a few that might sound familiar. Number one, take pride in being a perfectionist. Some of the angriest people in the world are perfectionists. Those who expect perfection from others and from themselves. They are guaranteed to find a great deal of frustration. Number two, don't listen to anyone else's point of view. Your anger is justified because the other person messed up. If a person is dedicated to being angry, he won't allow any give or take. Number three, expect other people to cater to your every whim because when they don't, you can get angry. Number four, constantly demand your rights. This is one of the surest steps towards a life of anger. Forget that the Bible speaks of responsibilities rather than rights. Forget Jesus' command to serve and exalt others above yourself. Get angry when your rights are violated and you are treated with disrespect anyway. Number five, have no compassion for those who are suffering. You're a self-made person. You picked yourself up by your bootstraps to be who you are today. Everyone should do the same. As far as everyone else is concerned, there's no excuse for human frailty. It's a cop-out for a bunch of people who want things handed to them on a silver platter. Now, I'm sure that these steps are totally unfamiliar to my podcast listeners, right? Well, let's examine what Jesus taught about anger, Matthew 5, verses 21 and following. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. To set the context here, we need to remember that Jesus' mission was not just to die for our sins so that we could receive a pardon from God. It was to overthrow the usurpers of Adam's throne as the ruler of earth, Satan, sin, and the death that sin always brings, and establish Christ's kingdom of righteousness and life over earth. That redemption that Jesus purchased for Christians changes the way God's covenant people relate to the Old Testament law. The Old Testament ceremonial law, that is, ritual cleanliness laws, sacrifices, and the priesthood, were only a street sign on the biblical map pointing to Jesus. The sign's been torn down. Similarly, Israel's civil laws, though revealing principles of equity and justice for all nations, do not apply to the church, 
which is a spiritual community that exists inside the civil governments of the world. However, there is a third category of law, the moral law of God, which is written on the heart of all men and can never be abrogated because it reflects the very holiness of God, his moral purity. Jesus was very clear that his coming does not overthrow the moral law of God. His words were, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Not only does the moral law of the Old Testament continue into the New Testament, Jesus corrects the Pharisaic teaching that the Old Testament law of God was only about external obedience. In the section of the Sermon on the Mount that we're studying, Jesus says not only does God's moral law prohibit outward murder and the injuring of another's body, it also prohibits the injuring of another's self-esteem. Not only does the moral law prohibit outward adultery, it prohibits the inner lust of the heart. If we are going to get our Lord's mission for us straight, we must keep in mind the correct definition of legalism. Legalism is not seeking to be righteous. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Legalism is seeking to be righteous in our own strength. Legalism is not striving to do the right thing to please God. Both God the Father and God the Son have said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Legalism is trying to please God to try to make him love me more, instead of trying to please God because he already loves me unconditionally. As Christ followers, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit who brings the power of Christ's defeat of sin into our hearts. That is our hope when it comes to battling anger. We need that power to defeat anger. So let's try to gain some biblical wisdom for this fight. First, what is anger? Fundamentally, anger is a response to pain. It is a secondary emotion always a reaction to some form of pain. In fact, you could say that anger is deflected pain. Pain comes in and our self-protective instincts put up a shield of armor and that pain is deflected back out as anger. Let me illustrate what I mean. A pastor and his wife opened their home to an eight-year-old boy as foster parents. The day came when Bill, the pastor, had to tell the eight-year-old boy that he was going to have to move to another home. Bill postponed the conversation as long as he could. But finally, Bill said a prayer and headed to the garage where the boy was putting the final touches on a model Bill had bought him, a model car that had become the boy's pride and joy. Bill carefully, sensitively explained the situation. The boy never looked up, never said anything, until he grabbed the model, threw it down on the cement floor, smashing it into pieces, and blurted, What do people think I am? A football that you can just pass around whenever you feel like it? Then he clammed up tighter than a drum as he tried to fight back his tears, seething with anger. 
The pain of rejection penetrated his heart, hit the steel armor around his heart, and deflected back out as rage. Let's look at three kinds of pain that quickly turn to anger. First, a wound to our self-esteem, making us feel rejected, as this eight-year-old did. A husband drives up the driveway late for dinner the third time that week. Dinner is cold and his wife is hot. Why? What's going on? Well, you might say she's mad, Einstein. But let's ponder what is really going on. What was her first emotion before she jumped over to anger? It is the pain of being disrespected, that she is not important enough for him to get there on time, that she is second in line in her husband's priorities, that she is not valued, not treasured the way a wife needs to be by her husband. It is also the pain of working hard after she got home from work to fix a nice meal and then that man causing the meal to be ruined because it's cold. And that points to the second form of pain, which is frustration in reaching our goals. A toddler is stacking blocks to make a tower. When he tries to put the ninth block on the top, it falls along with the eighth and seventh block. So the toddler slams his hand against the whole rest of the tower, demolishing it. The pain of frustration. How about driving? You cut it close, fully checking off that third item on your to-do list, and now you really, really need to get to this lunch meeting on time. But the slowest driver in the state is in front of you, and it's a two-lane, no-passing zone for 10 miles. Impatient anger and hostility toward this slow driver floods into your soul, if you're anything like me. The anger produced by having your goal frustrated also breaks out at the end of football games. When losing players who have fought heart and soul to win know their efforts will end in defeat. And if they're taunted at that time, being put down by the other team, that may explode. A wound to our self-esteem and the frustration of not being able to reach our goals. The third pain is the pain of injustice, and that is a kind of pain that should cause us anger in many cases. Jim Crow laws should have infuriated every American Christian. Jesus was so furious with the way the money changers and priests were cheating the poor in the temple that he made a whip to drive them out. Jesus was also furious with the hard-hearted Pharisees who saw his miraculous restoration of a handicapped man's arm as a chance to nitpick the law instead of celebrating this joyful wholeness of this human who had been suffering so much. Right now in 2023, we should be furious with those promoting gender theory and affirming care for the harm they are doing to precious, troubled, pubescent girls. But even if the pain is a righteous pain of injustice, we cannot let that righteous anger become hostile anger, nor can we let that hostile anger of injustice lead us to take revenge. Some have grown up in homes where if they are hit, they immediately hit back. If they hear criticism, they immediately respond with critical words back. But Scripture is clear. 
Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So a third kind of pain, injustice, can lead us towards angry hostility. The cardinal rule in dealing with anger is to look beneath it to the pain causing it so that we can deal with the pain the right way and not the wrong way. Let's look at some of the wrong responses to pain that our anger produces. In Genesis 4, we discover that the first murder in human history took place because of anger. We read, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. Cain was angry because his offering was rejected and Abel's was accepted. The pain of rejection turned to hostile anger and jealousy, and that led to physical assault. Cain murdered Abel. In Jesus' mind, hostile anger can also lead easily to verbal assault as well. In fact, Jesus says that such assaults are also a violation of the sixth commandment as surely as murder is. Let's look at what he says again back in Matthew 5. First, just flat communicating our hostile anger. Jesus says anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. James 1.20 says man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. The particular Greek word used by Jesus is for anger that has not been dealt with. It is simmering anger that projects hostility. Next, Jesus speaks of words that are used that make people feel stupid. He says, anyone who says to a brother Raka will be liable to the council. The most literal translation of Raka is empty-headed. This is injury caused by attacking another's self-esteem. By the way, here is a piece of childhood folklore that is completely false. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Words that make another feel stupid create a wound that some will carry the rest of their life. I know. I have some of those wounds. Jesus here prohibits more crass words like, you idiot, you moron, or you just don't get it. But he also prohibits more subtle attacks upon one's self-esteem. I can't believe you would do that. Translation, I can't believe you're that stupid. Impatient words also attack a child's self-esteem. When are you ever going to learn how to spell? The third category Jesus touches upon are words that attack a person's character. Anyone who says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is talking about anger vented in an attack on one's character. The Hebrew term fool connoted foolishness, but in Israel, such folly was not about a shortage of intelligence, but about a lack of moral character. 
Jesus says here that attacking a person's character is a serious violation of the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Every human is made in God's image, and for that reason alone must be treated with dignity. James, the brother of Jesus, tells us no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Character assassination most often comes with the phrases, you always and you never. You're so self-centered, you never think of anyone else. You always spend too much money at that store. As James observes, a parent's tongue is very powerful. We need to correct behavior and build character, not attack character. As spouses, we need to communicate our feelings, but never attack character. Rather, praise it. So let's look at the ABCs of responding to anger. A, acknowledge that your inner temperature is rising. Proverbs 4.23 commands, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Anger is like the warning light on the dashboard of the car. It lets us know there is a problem that needs to be dealt with. Don't excuse it. Ignore it deny it, or worst of all, vomit it out on someone else. Instead, we need to acknowledge it. B stands for backtrack to the pain. Ask yourself, what is the inner hurt that is behind this response of anger? If you snap at your wife when you first walk in the door after work, maybe the hurt has to do with your extra efforts not being appreciated by your boss. Are you always angry and critical with your wife? What is the real pain behind your anger? If your son is angry because he has to clean his room on Saturday, it is worth thinking about the cause of the pain. It may be that he is self-centered and doesn't like anyone imposing on his schedule, or that he is lazy. But it might also be that his best friend is going away Saturday afternoon for the weekend, and they made special plans to go to the skate park Saturday morning. Perhaps he should still clean his room first, but backtracking to the pain helps clarify the situation for the parent. Third is C, which stands for Christ. Take your pain to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10 says, We take captive every thought to make it captive to Christ. God never wastes pain. He always has a purpose for it. Romans 8, 28 through 29 tell us that the general purpose of that pain is to be more like Christ. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Taking our pain to Christ may mean many things. It might mean that we primarily experience our Lord's comfort about being hurt. And that's it. It may mean that we have to learn the hard lesson of forgiving others as Christ forgave us. It may mean finding the courage in Christ to confront someone who hurt us. Taking our pain to Christ is not the same thing as bearing it or being passive about it. 
it may mean that we see that our anger came because something was preventing us from reaching our idol of success or acceptance or control. There are as many ways to biblically process our pain as there are painful situations. The key is to take the pain to the Lord instead of letting the pain take us into sin. And there's a fourth step, though, to anger, and it's D, which stands for damage. Repair the damage your anger has caused. Immediately after telling us that wounding with our anger is sin, Jesus tells us what to do when such a wound has occurred. Matthew 5.23 continues, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Proud men who will not seek the forgiveness of their wives and children when they wound them will drive their family members away. A wall will build up brick by brick each time he wounds but refuses to take responsibility for the pain he has caused. But if he humbles himself and obeys this verse, he will find that our family members are quick to forgive. They do not need perfect husbands and fathers, just fathers who love them enough to ask for forgiveness when they need to. One Sunday when I was a church planter, as I was unloading my kids to head into Gaithersburg Elementary School where we met for our services, I remember being sharp, spewing angry words that bit into the soul of my most tender-hearted child, Karen, probably the child who wanted most to please me. I thought little about it until one of our elders was in the midst of the pastoral prayer during the service. Rick always had a way of drawing me into God's presence when he prayed. I was about to place my gift, the sermon I had prepared, on the altar to ask God to use it when Jesus' words came to mind. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your daughter Karen has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your daughter, then come and offer your gift. I got up, quickly raced to the children's church classroom, motioned for Karen to come outside, and said, Karen, I was impatient and hurtful to you in the words I said getting out of the car. You did not deserve to be treated that way. Would you forgive me? She said yes, and I raced back to the service. Sinners don't always go through steps A, B, and C with our anger, but that is why Jesus gave us step D. To summarize this episode, becoming angry is such a regular part of life in this fallen world that it should not surprise us that Jesus teaches us how kingdom people are to cope with it in his portrait of kingdom life in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, Jesus' words about anger are rather sobering. It can cause us to violate what the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, actually prohibits, harming another. As surely as lead bullets can penetrate a body doing great harm, verbal bullets can tear into the tender part of another's self-esteem doing serious damage. To understand how to cope with our anger, we observe that it is a secondary emotion caused by pain. 
The pain that seems to provoke anger in us most often is the pain of something frustrating our goal, or the pain of injustice, or the pain of being disrespected, our dignity attacked. When that pain, whatever its source, becomes anger, it needs to be like a warning light on our dashboard of our car, signaling that we need to take action. That action is A, acknowledge the anger, B, backtrack to the pain behind the anger, being disrespected or frustrated or unjustly treated. Then C, which stands for Christ, taking the pain to Christ and processing that pain with him. If we don't process our anger with Jesus, it is likely that such anger will lead us down the path of harming another, generating physical abuse or verbal abuse. When we do fail to process our anger with Jesus' help and we do harm others through our anger, Jesus teaches us step deep, damage. We must take responsibility for the harm we have caused others. Our loved ones will be quick to forgive and put the pain behind them if we ask. If we don't seek forgiveness for the offense, we open the door to it causing bitterness in the one we hurt. As a youth pastor, I saw more than one rebellious teen with a wounded spirit. For further prayerful thought, number one, what was the most helpful truth you discovered about anger in this episode? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This link is also in your show notes. Next week, as we continue our study of biblical strategies for the battles men fight, we'll examine our struggle with discouragement. Is there anything we can do about feeling disheartened? And how can we push through it and get to the other side? For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ, as together we seek to swell the ranks of strong, godly men who are leading their families and churches well.